Welcome to Technovation, a weekly conversation with people who are shaping the technology landscape. I'm Peter High, president of MetaStrategy, advisor to technology executives, Forbes columnist, book author, and your host. Each episode of Technovation features insights from top executives and thought leaders at the intersection of business, technology, and innovation. If you like what you hear, we'd be grateful if you give us a rating on iTunes or through whatever other source you use for podcasts. And please subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thank you. My guest this week is Pascal Boyard. Pascal is the Group Executive of Enterprise Services and Chief Information Officer at Commonwealth Bank of Australia, that country's leading provider of integrated financial services with revenues exceeding $16 billion annually. In that role, Pascal leads the Technology and Operations Division, which is designed to help deliver the best digital banking services to its customers. Prior to joining Commonwealth Bank of Australia, Pascal was the Group Chief Information Officer of Deutsche Bank. In this interview, we discuss his six-pillar IT strategy, the advantages Pascal gains having technology and operations disciplines under his purview, and some of the innovation efforts Commonwealth Bank is undergoing. We also discuss why working remotely due to COVID-19 was quite a transition for Australians, even more so than other countries, the tech landscape in Australia, and how the company works with other fintechs. Lastly, we discuss Pascal's take on quantum computing, artificial intelligence, and the cloud, among a variety of other topics. Before we get to our interview, I wanted to introduce you to our sponsor, Zoho, and the company's president, Timothy Casby. Prior to taking on his current role, he was the chief information officer of a number of companies, including Reliance Industries, Sears, Intrexon, and the Warehouse Group. He's now at Zoho, a most unusual enterprise software company, and wanted to share some perspectives from it. Timothy, take it away. A famous VC points out that lack of clear foresight and failure of imagination resulted in many countries caught unprepared for the pandemic. This resulted in lack of basic essentials like PPEs, masks, gloves for medical staff, and that it is time to build. At Zoho, we understand development or build just doesn't happen anymore in the four walls of IT department. That is why we made Zoho Creator, a no-code, low-code development platform for business and IT folks alike. It is enjoyed by over 7 million users globally who have built 6 million apps and counting. Both small and large enterprises use it to do rapid development, iteration, and integration. Amazon uses Zoho Creator in their supply chain. Tesla runs their entire production on Zoho Creator. Another logistic customer of ours has shipped over 52 Boeing Dreamliners full of PPEs globally using Zoho Creator. On one hand, CIO's responsibility is to reduce risk technology poses to the business. But on the other hand, CIO's responsibility also includes unleashing value through powerful apps. Anyone with an idea, both in business and IT, can build cloud-native, mobile-ready apps using Zoho Creator. And yes, we agree with that VC. It is time to build. Thanks, Timothy. And now on to the interview. Pascal Boyag, welcome to... uh... Technovation, it's great to speak with you today. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me. And it's great to see you again after all these years. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. In fact, uh, quite a bit has changed for you in, in, in terms of uh, location, if not necessarily industry. Uh, you are now the Group Executive, Enterprise Services, and Chief Information Officer of Commonwealth Wealth Bank. Uh, you're in Sydney, uh, Australia, as we have this conversation, where the bank is headquartered. Uh, maybe you could take a moment and talk a bit about your purview with that rather long title. What does what does it entail? Yeah. Uh, well, I think uh, you look in some other organization they call it ops and tech. In some other organization, you know, it might be more a role like chief operating officer. And here it's you know it's 
right now the, the span of control is operations, so everything that has to do with settlements, you know, back office settlements of mortgages, loans, um, you know, any any trade settlements, um, business loan settlements, so operations piece, technology, obviously the technology functions front to back. Um, from a CIO perspective and chief information office perspective, cybersecurity, um, the cybersecurity division and how to protect the bank from a cybersecurity attack in a perspective, um, <clears throat> data, the data office, chief data officer and all the work that we need to do around, you know, the data aspects and data governance, data management and unlocking the value of the data for the bank. And then lastly as well, uh, procurement. Um, why procurement? Uh, because a lot of Procurements are in nowadays around technology and are a lot around as well operations. If you think about, you know, cash distribution, ATM management, armor guard and those things that, you know, distribute into the cash on all the branches. So the biggest aspect of, you know, procurement and the spend there is related to the space that I, I oversee. That's a very vast purview to say the least. Um, Pascal, you, you've had a number of responsibilities across a great array of, of countries, to say nothing of companies, uh, in the U.S. for organizations like Citigroup and Fannie Mae, in London at Deutsche Bank, now in Australia with Commonwealth Bank, um, and, and IT leadership and operational roles of growing responsibility across those across those organizations. Curious about how... Um, you, you mentioned uh, earlier that there are some aspects that rhyme across the roles, but there are also probably some very interesting differences. To say nothing of the, the growth of of technology within financial services across your career, maybe you could take a moment to reflect upon uh, the strategic nature, how, how technology, digital, um, has grown it in strategic nature across financial services in your career. One aspect which I definitely became pretty apparent in my time during Washington, D.C., you know, technology has become a limiting factor for growth, for safe, sound, and secure, and uh, sustainable growth. So technology has become a limiting factor. And uh, that's also why, you know, technology has the amount of scrutiny that, you know, it deserves as well from a regulator and oversight from a management board perspective. If I reflect back, you know, if you want to process infinitely new volumes, new products or launch new products, now in nowadays you have to launch all these other controls, anti-money laundering, sanction screening, anti-bribery, all the aspects that protect the society, you know, and make sure that you actually execute within the regulations. You can't do this manually anymore. So technology has become a limiting factor and the importance of it and also the importance of the partner, global partnerships with other uh, global technology providers and how you create, you know, a, an ecosystem with and, and partnership with, with these technology providers. So a lot has changed, you know, from the days of the GFC and, and how you actually need to look at technology. Also the relevance of technology at management board level and also the relevance with, with regulators. Having said that, yeah, obviously technology innovation is, is helping us. So if I think about, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, um, those aspects, how do you actually, you know, merge the data? How do you actually correlate the data? Um, those technologies have helped as well, not just from a regulatory 
and also complying with regulations and, and social political responsibility that we did do, but also to help the customers, to get the customer insights, to help the customer for the next best conversation or help the customer to actually, you know, see inefficiencies of how they're spending the money and, 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 and so on. So those technologies are very exciting as well of how to apply them, not just, you know, to comply with regulation, but also to help the customers. Yeah, that's great. Um, I, I also wondered uh, if you could take a moment, you've already begun to describe some of the areas, no doubt, that, that you and your team are focused on. What are some, some other areas you would articulate as sort of strategic at this point as you look to the future? And I recognize some aspects of that may be changing a little bit just in light of current uh, both health crisis and, and economic crisis that has reared its ugly head across the world. Uh, but maybe you could take a moment and just reflect upon some of the areas of focus for, for your organization. Yeah, look, so for, for me, I... The technology strategy that we have built here is around six pillars and um, and has a lot, you know, how do it starts with the customer aspect of how do we rebuild and gain the trust of the customers, you know, so how do we try, um, build software and engineer software to instill trust so that actually when you think about, you know, interacting with the bank, you've feel like it's a personalized application it's a personalized you know experience uh, digital experience um you know the platform that we have is is very uh, very good it was one of the leading ones in the world but how do we actually strive for absolute you know personalization and 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 depersonalization so the customer feels you know really connected to the bank and feels can configure its experience and configure its looks and feels but also the its insights that it gets so if you think but the customer engagement behavior engine we have is not just to do the next best sale, but it's also to enable the customer, hey, look, there's a saving that you could do over here, or by the way, you have an unclaimed refund over there, or here's an opportunity because of COVID-19, here's an opportunity you could refinance this, or you can actually postpone your payments and, and actually give the customer insight and really how to rebuild the trust. Um, with with customers and society and use software in in engineering in that way. So for me, that's a big pillar of the strategy. Um, the other other one is obviously uh, enabling the, the customer ecosystem. So how do you create an API infrastructure that allows fintechs and other joint ventures to plug in and actually leverage your payment rails, leverage your settlement rails, you know, and and make sure that you do allow other organizations to plug in. Um, and, and in, in our case, it's, you know, organizations like Klarna or X15, you know, that we have recently launched, um, which have a complete different uh, market experience and a, a proposition, but are, you know, how do you integrate them into the, the bigger ecosystem that we can um, um, provide to, um, to, do, to the society here in Australia? The third one is providing intelligent protection, as we have ever an evolving threat landscape, not just from cyber from fraud, bribery, all those aspects. How do we create intelligent protection? That we also provide that intelligent protection to our customers and our employees so that they understand if you're doing this type of transaction, by the way, you know, here, here's the potential threat that you might, you know, encounter. Or also, you know, how do we expose that intelligent threat protection for our customers so they can leverage that as well? So that for me is a big pillar. Um, the other one is digitizing end-to-end experiences. So not just making sure that the digitization is in the front end, but also digitize front to back. So you actually can create volume and sensitiveness. And actually, so that the customer is also not set 
in the future to, I want to, you know, the bank telling the customer when they can settle the other way around because you're digitized. The customer needs to settle on those dates. And because we digitize front to back, we can enable this type of settlements and making sure that the technology investments and architectures and all that are leading to a, a front to back digitization. And the other piece, which is utmost importance, which you see across the world now is as well that how you get engineer for safe, sound, secure and availability, reliability. How do you get to the five nines? Um, you know, Peter, when, when you and I met many years ago, you know, um, money has become like water, like electricity, you know, water has to flow. Electricity has to, you know, be provided. Money is liquidity and has to constantly be available, constantly flow. So how do you engineer and design systems? So it's five nines, 99.99% availability. It's reliable, available, you know, and it's continuously flowing, especially in marketplaces here in uh, Australia where there's limited cash and a lot of people are transacting, you know, through, through debit cards, credit cards and banks and how you build resilient modern platforms. And lastly, the, the pillar is how do you actually, um, globalize your capabilities and leverage global partners? Especially as well, how do you leverage partners like Microsoft, uh, AWS, um, and other large organizations on how to actually them understanding, you know, your risk profile, but also your value proposition and how to actually leverage their capabilities in order to provide that, uh, not only globalization, but also some of these pillars that I described. That's interesting, Pascal. I, you know, I was reflecting as you were providing that overview, uh, again, that the breadth of your purview, this is the, um, the at least the third, if not the fourth uh, role that you've had where you've had the technology as well as operations uh, disciplines under your purview that you're focused on both on the internal operations and employee experience, but also think about customer experience at the same time. And, and I wonder, you know, the, this is certainly a trend, though still I think um, it's the rare leading uh, technology leader that has that operations as well as technology-centric responsibilities. Now, having done so at multiple organizations, can you reflect on the advantages of that, that sort of breadth relative to a traditional chief information officer role? Yeah, I'm very passionate about operations and technology and the, co- the combination of both. So in 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 this case, again, I, I did the same as in my previous roles. I actually had the technology that is relevant to operations, reporting and joint as part of the organization of operations and how do you actually take operations employees and make them comfortable and train them either as graduates, you know, have them train as a, you know, first in the technology curriculum and then also then subsequently as an operations um, specialist or operations analyst um, so that the operations people actually configure their own matching engines, their own workflow engines, or their own rules engines, so that the operations people actually have the technical abilities to configure, not to solve, not to program or to engineer, that's the responsibility for technology, but having that tech-savvy aspect to actually configure their own r- rules engines or matching engines or workflow engines. Um, because operations is the organization that see all, sees all the data breaks, sees all the, the inefficiencies, and there are the organizations that can enable quickly the front-to-back digitization and making sure that we actually truly digitize front-to-back. So 
actually enabling that kind of momentum is is very important, you know, to me, and and ultimately leads also to better customer satisfaction and business satisfaction because they see us becoming less and less, you know, volume sensitive. So we become volume insensitive, and we create better operating leverage to that. It's also very motivational for the employees because they're learning something new. They understand how they're actually improving not only for the bank and the customer experience, but for their own skill set, for their own, you know, um, personal development. And uh, another piece that I'm kind of very focused on uh, and continue to be focused on, our employees, especially also the operations, but some of the technologies as well, we, you know, we project the value proposition of the bank to our customers. So we need to make sure that our employees um, feel empowered, feel, you know, that they have the right tools and understand, you know, um, the mission or the, the value proposition. And those are the ones that touch first our customers and making sure that they project, you know, a, a good, a good, <clears throat> a, a good image from a sense from what technology abilities we have and how we think about engineering, you know, for the customers. Um, can you talk a bit about the role the technology has played in ensuring the resilience um, of the company and its employees uh, during this time of, of health and economic crisis? I think, um, yes, we, I think this, well, this was a bit new to Australia, I, I must say. I mean, I think it's more common in Europe and especially in America with what we had to go through. With um, 9-11, we had to go through Storm Sandy and, you know, some other aspects. I think this was a bit new in Australia. Even when I talk here with my peers across the industry, um, we, Australia is very much a face-to-face culture, an in-person culture. So we definitely um, it was new to actually convert the bank to be able to work from remote and to be comfortable to video conference in, you know, remote access in. Um, in average, we had over three and a half thousand people per day working from remote. So most, mostly those were actually my employees, the um, operations and technology people working from remote at three and a half thousand. Now we have over 35,000 people working from remote. Um, and we're not and I'm able to maintain all our service level agreements and, and so on. So that was a bit new to the organization to actually be comfortable of working from, um, from their homes. Um, we actually also see that, you know, um, there's employees are actually asking for us to, can we have that level of flexibility going forward? They're also realizing the benefit, not just for the company, for the bank, but also for themselves, you know, cutting down commuting times, working around their, you know, home schedule. And actually, in order for that, you actually may increase even productivity and, and, and so on. So it's a bit new to Australia. It's much more common to, my team and myself who've been across the world and very used to uh, working from remote. Um, but that can, you know, I would say transformation happened in March and April. It happened very smoothly and it happened also very, very collaboratively with major, some of our major partners, you know, that had to work with us to help making sure that we get that done. Mm-hmm. You've worked at a number of major institutions, uh, this one included. And um, in order to, accomplish so much of the innovation that you described, Pascal, it also requires modernizing uh, the technology landscape. Um, it, perhaps you found a, a modern landscape when you arrive, but I'm curious if there's sort of a game plan you think about in terms of modernizing processes, people practices, processes, and technologies as you think about, although one can't fully future-proof 
a company, but trying to get a bit more towards that to ensure, for example, resilience to say nothing of an ability to innovate on top of a of a better platform, if you will, of technology. What I found here is an incredibly leading organization as it pertains to some of the innovations on the front side, meaning our digital bank, our Comsec Pocket. Comsec Pocket is our retail equity platform. Um, even the blockchain that we did with the World Bank, one of the first blockchains with World Bank issuing bonds so that there was traceability of the bond across the world. We partnered with the World Bank for issuing bonds that way. Incredible innovation. Um, so, however, you know, there was also the necessity, like every majority of the banks around the world, how, how do we think about tax simplification? How do we think about digitization front to back? You know, how do we think about, you know, um, how to modernize our platform as we continue to deliver new capabilities and new innovation? We definitely had to spring start a springboard, um, some innovation in the back end. How do we actually now take some of the innovation and innovate in operations or innovate and in how we actually managing this complex tech landscape that we have and apply innovation to the, how do we manage complexity? Um, so we did t- definitely some invest- investments and innovations there. Um, we in- started the tech simplification program with some of our strategic partners and, uh, but it's also a significant education of the technologists and the engineers that in our days you have to deliver the and, 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 okay? You have to deliver innovation and tax simplification and risk reduction and automation and at a lower cost, you know, et cetera. So how do we actually make sure as well that the necessary investment from a human capital and education perspective, we, we train our engineers to understand that as well. Talk, talk about if, if, if you would, Pascal. The um, the the tech landscape for talent within Australia. Um, how have you, as you've gotten to know that uh, geography better, obviously uh, in your current post? Um, how does it compare to 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 the UK or the US? Uh, two geographies where you operated most recently prior. I think the talent is, is is incredible. The engineering talent is fantastic. There's a lot of university here. There's a lot of tech centers. We in, in the process of as well building a tech center here in, in, uh, in Sydney, one of the, um, uh, Redfern in, in one of the, we're going to relocate there and have created a little bit of a tech center with also some, you know, innovation and, and, and tech startup companies in a old kind of warehouse type, um, environment there. Um, and, um, so the engineering talent is incredible. There's a lot of university or a lot of talent that we can source from, uh, and you also see that with some of the engineering talent that has gone out in the globe and then coming back to the Australian market. So that is also pretty prevalent. So they go into the global market and then they come back after 10 years and, and settle back here in Australia. And how do we capture that talent that is returning? Um, I think where we, from an Australia perspective, need to um, insource since per se a more talent on a global perspective is some of these regulatory remediation and how you design within this new regulatory environment. Um, I think, I think Europe and, and uh, America is ahead of Australia. We went through this a few times now with the GFC and, and, and other new regulations that come out. So I think there we are dependent upon more of some of the global experience and wisdom and, and how to go about that. Um, and I would say as well, um, cyber engineering, there, there's more, 
investment required in order to get more cyber engineers. You know, and and we're working as well here with a few universities and 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 now government as well of how you actually develop more cyber engineers. And the last one I would say as well is you know some of the data problems. If you think about a bank was not built based on data in the beginning. It was built based on process and product. No, first it was product, then process and data came as an afterthought. You know, so definitely uh, data management, not not data scientists, not data. Uh, you know, mathematician analytics, we have a lot of talent here, but, you know, the bread and butter of data management, data governance, and uh, how, how do you go about that? That also prob- probably needs a bit more insourcing from talent across the globe of how to solve that. Yeah, very interesting. Um, I also wondered, you, you've mentioned a number of important trends from artificial intelligence to blockchain, uh, among others. As you look to the future, Pascal, what are some of the trends, those or others, that particularly excite you? Yeah, I, I, def, definitely. I had the opportunity to see the uh, quantum computing lab here in Australia that is leading. Um, that quantum computing lab that I was able to visit and that we are also, you know, helping to sponsor from the bank perspective um, is absolutely um, was fascinating on, on the quantum computing side, what that potentially can do. And, uh, it's still a few years away, but how do you actually incorporate that in your thought process? Because we have heavy computing within uh, financial industries and bank environments and, and it's real and it's going to be coming. And how do you incorporate that in your thought process? Um, definitely, as I mentioned, you know, how do you apply AI and machine learning, you know, not just for the customer aspect, but actually how to run a better and simpler bank in a back end. So how do you actually apply machine learning AI to, you know, make it a simpler and better bank and run the complexity, you know, through machine learning and AI. So um there definitely more value that we can unlock. Um and then obviously, you know, as it pertains to public cloud, you know, and all those aspects, the as I mentioned before, you know, money has become like water, like electricity has to flow consta- constantly and how you leverage partners, you know, like uh, AWS and, and, and others to make sure that you achieve five nines, 99.99% availability, availability in, in and out of region and, and, and those aspects uh, are very important um, uh, and continue to be important. Um, us being in the business of, you know, maintaining brick and mortar and, and so on, we'll rather have our engineers dedicated to enabling customer experience, customer differentiating um, value propositions. Yeah. You've mentioned a couple different ways, this notion of ecosystem, uh, ecosystems of, of, of strategic partners like an AWS or a Microsoft. Um, you also talked about the partnerships with fintechs and the sanctity and importance of having APIs, for instance, to uh, connect with other organizations with whom you do business. Can you talk a bit about, um, as you think about the, like the fintech landscape and innovation that's happening within the financial services space, the way in which you kind of cooperate and partner with emerging companies as a, as a large, powerful um, going concern, how you think about almost the coopetition that happens between the fintechs and the larger banks. Um, how, how do you think about that interplay? Part of it is, actually giving them the opportunity to challenge us, challenge our thinking. So we do have, you know, a regular cadence of where we have some of these think techs and up and coming 
you know, founders or innovators come and challenge our thought process. We have a regular cadence where people can come and, and challenge us. And for me is as well that, you know, I created a lot and I did this in the past as well. I want to make sure that in the steering committees and or design authorities or in the architecture review board, they're not just myopically CBA staff only. I actually have design authorities or steering committees with our partners where they actively challenge us as well and say, hey, you know, thinking about this dimension, you know, thinking about this technology or, you know, thinking about this best practice. So continuously involving them as well to help, you know, design a better, you know, marketplace, API infrastructure, all that aspect. So creating that openness um, is, is very keen for me. And this is how we started, you know, putting that in place here as well. Well, actually, we have it operational now. Um, but that's, for me, very keen to get that intellectual debate um, um, from inside out as well, uh, outside in. That's fantastic. Well, Pascal Boyat, thank you so much for, for joining me today. It's been great to hear about your most recent experiences uh, in your current post, a bit about your career arc and all that you've learned across the, the, the various uh, major financial services institutions that you've served as a technology executive. Uh, as usual, it's, it's been a great conversation. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for tuning in. Please join me on Thursday when my guest will be former CIO of MetLife and current founder and CEO of Uncork, Gary Hoberman.